Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Heartland Franchise Guide, your insider's guide to all things franchising in the local area. I'm Blake Martin, local small business franchise owner and your Heartland Franchise Guide. This is the place for advocacy, resources, and education on all things franchising and small business ownership in the local area. And it's a great place for entrepreneurs to stop by if they're just trying to learn more about the franchising industry. Speaking of learning about industries and learning about history, I'm recording this session at the end of June in 2022. And two things are on my mind because of this time of year and this moment in time. The first is we are living in a really strange time right now. I would even use the term tumultuous, right? So we're, we're coming out of the pandemic period, so to speak, and all of the craziness that went with that. And just catching our breath from the subsequent surge in the demand for pretty much everything products and services since. And just when we thought we were going to get a little of a break, not quite, right? A war in Ukraine. Um, as I'm sitting here this week, domestic issues like Roe versus Wade got turned over this week. We've had gun violence. We have extreme political polarization. We've got inflation. Yes, the R word is starting to be used, recession. You all know as listeners, this isn't about platforms and this isn't about taking a position politically or socially. But those are just the realities of some of the things that are happening right now on a national and international scene. So it got me thinking, what kind of historical context is there for entrepreneurship during tumultuous times? And of course, the other thing on my mind is we're about to celebrate another year of our country's independence. We're coming up on the, I believe, the 246th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence in the United States of America. And there's many countries. Folks listen from all over country, from all different countries to this podcast. And many, if not most countries, have their own Independence Day to celebrate. So what does that mean? What were the founders of our country? And not just the founders that sat in Philadelphia in a room, but all of the founders of our country. Um, what did they have to do with entrepreneurship? So I did a little bit of research, and I'm going to be referencing uh, my laptop and some of the sources that I've pulled up in recent days, and it's really interesting. It's really interesting what you can learn when you go past page two or three or four of Google sometimes, by the way, and get into some of the real contextual references. So what does the history of entrepreneurship have to say about the ability to start and grow small businesses for entrepreneurs in tumultuous times like this? When you first start thinking about it, most people's minds in this country go to a, two different things. One of them is the, those titans of industry, right? The ultimate examples of entrepreneurship uh, culminating in its ultimate wealth and extravagance. The Carnegies and the J.P. Morgans and the Rockefellers, right? So we think about those and the ultimate risk takers and the ultimate reward. A very, very, very select few. The other thing is the agrarian roots of our country, right? Farming is the basis of so many things that built the economy in the United States of America. All we had was land in the beginning. And all farmers were entrepreneurs. And to this day, there's a whole lot of small business family entrepreneurs that are running farms. But it goes way beyond just those agrarian roots 
and those few titans of industry. And that's what I want to talk a little bit more about and tie in the thread of tumultuous times because, man, have we had our fair share of tumultuous times in this country. What did entrepreneurship and small business look like during those times? We're going to talk about that today on the Heartland Franchise Guide. So first and foremost, right when I'm getting ready to reference the laptop, of course it goes dark on me. Well, you know, you got to be willing to improvise if you're an entrepreneur and figure out different ways. How much can I remember from the notes I put together? Entrepreneurship runs through the entire tapestry of all of the tumultuous times in our history. Way back to the very beginning of settlements in this country. And let's talk about Latino Americans, the original Latino Americans, so Spaniards that came across the Atlantic, they were entrepreneurs. Let me give you some examples. Now, we know they came to the New World through tumultuous times and tumultuous challenges. A lot of the people that were on those boats coming across the Atlantic literally thought they might be swallowed whole by sea monsters. Not kidding. Read the diaries. Read the reports on it. And or faced major disappointment when they got here and didn't find entire cities of gold and fountains of youth. Yes, It's a real thing. That's what they were anticipating, and when they got there, they had to adjust and adapt their expectations in a very big way. Some specific examples. As early as the 16th century, so we're talking well before some of the common northern European history in the United States, near St. Augustine in Tallahassee, Florida, many of the folks that came across in those boats, they were here for entrepreneurial pursuits. Examples would include Tomas Menendez Marquez. He owned the La Chua Ranch, which stretched thousands of square miles, all the way from the St. John's River in East Florida to the Gulf of Mexico. He produced more than a third of Florida's cap, uh, cattle during the 17th century. That's a lot. There was a lot of cattle even then. Juan de Ochoa introduced cattle in New Mexico during the late 16th century. Captain Alonso de Leon and Eusebio Francisco Quino introduced cattle to Texas and Arizona during the 17th century. And Junipero Serra and Juan Bautista de Anza introduced cattle to California during the 18th century. It was the ultimate in an entrepreneurial pursuit, bringing a new species, a new way of farming, to an entire new land, to an entire new country. Imagine the challenges that they faced. There were real challenges, like farms didn't exist, ranches didn't exist. They had no idea what to expect from the indigenous peoples who poached their cattle regularly. And there was no precedent for how to deal with that. They had to figure it out on their own. Speaking of figuring it out on their own, in June of 1606, King James I granted a charter to a group of London entrepreneurs. That's how it's written in the contextual history. The Virginia Company was that group of London entrepreneurs. And what they were chartered to do was establish a settlement in the Chesapeake region of North America. For you history geeks like me, you know where this is going. In December of that year, 104 settlers landed, and they founded the Jamestown Settlement. They had instructions to build a secure settlement, find gold, and seek water, seek a water route to the Pacific. Entrepreneurial pursuits, all of them. In 1607, they founded Jamestown. Did they deal with tumultuous times and challenges? 
Um, yeah. Dozens of them died on the boat before they even landed. Starvation, all kinds of challenges. They got here in May of 1607. Just in the month of August, 20% of the survivors died that month of starvation and other challenges like indigenous invasions. Or actually, I should say indigenous taking retribution for invasions that the Europeans made on their land. If you read the text in a fair version, that's what you'll read. Fast forward a little bit. So that was the beginning of one of the most publicized European, northern European settlements in the United States, Jamestown. The heirs of some of those original settlers, although those original settlers didn't feel like they had much success with their entrepreneurial pursuit, those that survived were just happy that they survived and got out of it with their own lives. But they had land. The heirs of those original survivors are some of the wealthiest landowners in the country. Arguably one of the most important settlements in the New England area because it created a precedent and opened the doors for more settlements, like a little place that turned into New York. Let's go forward 170-so years after Jamestown was settled. There are 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence and 39 signers of the United States Constitution. Nearly all of them were entrepreneurs. We'll talk about that in, the, in a minute. All of them, when they signed the Declaration of Independence, were committing treason against Great Britain, the most powerful economic and political force on earth. They were committing treason punishable, punishable by death, by hanging. These were entrepreneurs that knew what real risk was. And yes, these were tumultuous times. They were starting a revolution against the most powerful entity on earth that they knew of. Inc. Magazine wrote a really interesting article in 2013 about the Declaration of Independence, uh, the founding fathers, so to speak, um, and them as entrepreneurs. They were a bunch of doctors and lawyers, largely. Here's the thing, though. Doctors and lawyers back then in the 1700s, it wasn't the same as now where you graduate from a law school and you join a big corporate entity, a firm or a healthcare system. When you graduate with that specialty, sometimes what you're doing is not going to a college at all. It was the college of home. You studied the law books yourself. You studied the medicine books yourself. Uh, maybe you were lucky enough for an internship of some sort with somebody who was practicing uh, that specialty at the time. If you could get your hands on the books, you studied the books yourself, and then you practiced on some unlucky individuals to, uh, to hone your craft. But you had to go out there and win your own customers. You had to go out there and figure out your own specialty, which was more of a generality, of course, with medicine and law at that time. But there were very few precedents for what you did. You were probably one of the only ones that did what you did in the geographic area where you were starts to sound familiar to entrepreneurs of today, right? Think about Abe Lincoln. If you want to get a picture of right, all the stories and all the pictures that we see and hear about Abe Lincoln, many of which were very accurate, and him breaking out as an attorney. That was his first profession, right? Um, and that was him studying, borrowing books, walking miles and miles to borrow a book from a neighbor, and then 
voraciously memorizing everything he could because there was no school for him to attend, nor did his family have any money for him to invest in any school that there was to attend anywhere nearby him in the Illinois prairie. That's what a lot of people dealt with who were getting into professions at the time. So some specific examples. Uh, Before, during, and after the American Revolution, every small business, of course, was at risk of destruction during the Revolutionary Times. Destruction from the armies of the British Empire after the Declaration of Independence. So what kind of businesses were at risk of being destroyed from some of the founding fathers, from some of those who signed the Declaration of Independence, and then subsequently many of those same people signed the first U.S. Constitution? We have to start with George Washington. I'm talking about founding fathers. He was a survey surveyor, a farmer, and, of course, an investor. Most of us don't read about that or remember that about him because, needless to say, his skills as a statesman and a general were so preeminent. They so dominated. They were so important to the history of our country. But he was all of those things. And here's some specific examples. He was the first to breed horses with donkeys to produce the American mule. George Washington. Yep. He grew countless varieties of trees and built a greenhouse full of exotic fruits, herbs, and plants. George Washington. His state-of-the-art mill produced flour, which he exported all over Europe. Mount Vernon, Vernon was also home to a distillery. Yep. George Washington, the distiller. Became one of the largest American whiskey producers of the era. Look it up. It is fascinating, especially if you have an interest in spirits. John Hancock, the biggest signature on the Declaration of Independence, he inherited and grew a mercantile fortune, uh, actually from his uncle, and he grew it larger and larger. He was considered one of the wealthiest business owners uh, in the 13 colonies at the time and the wealthiest uh, business owner in his colony. Um, One of the things that actually enraged him and pushed him towards an active role in what became the revolution was when the British seized his sloop, his mercantile sloop, in 1768 and charged him with smuggling. Well, there's, there's some information out there that seems to indicate that he probably was a relatively successful smuggler, but also did a lot of legal trade. And the British took a lot of liberties with insisting that he was smuggling because they wanted to seize many of his, much of his merchandise to limit and tax, of course, the economy that was developing and becoming way too independent for their likeness in the area, in their colony. He became the president of the Second Constitutional Congress, of course, which should have been and could be an instructive word to any of those who are thinking about enraging uh, a successful entrepreneur. It really upset him, and he had a lot to do with a whole lot of pain in the British Empire subsequently. Thomas Jefferson, a lawyer and a farmer, all well-publicized, and we could talk about the moral weaknesses of Thomas Jefferson. He was an entrepreneur as well. Here's an interesting one, one that we don't hear as much about, but George Walton from Georgia, by the way, part of the Continental Congress, one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. He was a carpenter's apprentice whose boss, and I quote here, not only kept him closely at labor during the day, but refused him the privilege of a candle 
by which to read at night. Don't you just love the, the verbiage from the 17th century and 18th century? Undeterred from this, Walton would scrounge wood so as to be able to read by the fire. He learned enough that he was eventually able to study as a lawyer, became an entrepreneur, owned his own business. George Walton was a corporate refugee, (laughs) escaping the binds of corporate America, or what was corporate America to him at the time, and became an entrepreneur. Fascinating, right? And then, of course, there's Ben Franklin, the ultimate serial entrepreneur, self-taught for sure, no question about that. Uh, He attended school for only two years. Did you know that? Not at all uncommon when you're one of 15 kids born in the early 1700s. Uh, He made enough to essentially retire from the running of his businesses by the age of 42. Now, the age of 42 wasn't so young back then uh, when you were lucky to live into your 50s. However, good old Ben Franklin, he lived into his 80s, right? So he he built a lot of wealth early. He was an inventor for sure, um, but his inventions weren't really what made him money because he was a big believer in improvements for humankind, for mankind, being afforded at no cost to others. So he was kind of like one of the original open sourcers, right? If, if there was coding back then, he might have been one of the founders of open source. Um, he was a printer first and foremost, as, every, as many know. He borrowed from friends to get the necessary capital, which a lot of others know. It was a really expensive, it was capital-intensive business back in that day. Um, His autobiography says that he worked until 11 p.m. many times, sometimes all the way through the night, just to get print jobs to his customers on time. And that, he says, is what won him customers over his more established competitors when he started his business and was growing it early. Sounds really familiar to what we deal with today even during tumultuous times. I mean, imagine tumultuous times, right? He's trying to grow a printing business, and there's no roads. There's certainly no internet. There isn't even really an organized mail system. Later on in his life, he had a lot to do with establishing that. Resiliency and persistence have always been in fashion in entrepreneurship in this country. By the way, Ben Franklin established his first contractual arrangement similar to a franchise in U.S. history. He established this first franchise-like system via a contract with a guy named Thomas Whitmarsh of Philadelphia in 1731, pretty early. Eventually, he expanded this business system into four countries and four colonies, but this was an early licensing relationship. And here's some really interesting news. The third owner of this licensing arrangement that Ben Franklin put together was his wife, Elizabeth, which starts the long, rich history of the prowess and importance of women in franchising in this country. To give you an example, female franchise entrepreneurs and females really important to the start of franchising, from the International Franchise Association's website, our primary trade association, The first formal modern-day franchise system with a formal training program with support systems for their owners and royalty fees was a Canadian-born American, Martha Matilda Harper, of course, of the Harper Method Shops. 
started in 1891. It was a hair care franchise. Martha started a business. She was a scrappy entrepreneur at a time when women weren't entrepreneurs. They didn't start their own businesses. That wasn't ladylike back then. Martha didn't care. She didn't give a dang about what the conventional wisdom was or what the right way to do things was supposed to be. Eventually, she grew this into 500 salons, and it lasted for 80 years. It wasn't until 1972 that the last Harper's Method shop closed up shop. Very successful, and so many in the franchising industry, almost all of us in the franchising industry, frankly, learned from her original lesson. Here's a really cool read. Google Essays on Articles in Miscellany by Ben Franklin, by the way. Really interesting read if you like self-improvement stuff. So this was written back in the 1700s, contributed to at least by Ben Franklin, in a biography slash autobiography on the history of his entrepreneurship. Let's be honest. When we talk about the the founding fathers of this country, it goes way beyond... Caucasian males sitting in rooms in Philadelphia. If we don't want to talk about the true roots of our country, and it's not all peaches and cream, but everybody was involved in tumultuous times in franchising in the history of our country. African Americans were a tremendous part of early entrepreneurship, despite unbelievable challenges, the types of challenges we'll probably never know in this day and age. They were constantly faced with the threat of enslavement, or just trying to free the chains of enslavement so that they could do something on their own or just do something for themselves. Even those that were lucky enough not to come over as slaves but came as freedmen or earned or paid for their own freedom, escaped for their own freedom, they constantly lived in fear of reprisal by death or re-enslavement or just initial enslavement even if they were already freedmen and freedwomen in the North. But they persisted as entrepreneurs. They found a way and started their own things because often that was the only thing they could do was start their own thing if they actually wanted to earn any kind of income whatsoever. In the 1600s, there's numerous accounts of African-American freedmen who learned the Native American languages and became scouts and trappers and surveyors or even um, licensed themselves out to trappers and surveyors, and so had their own outfitting businesses, per se. Um, You want to talk about throwing caution to the wind, right? They could have been killed at any moment by Native Americans, even if they were in Western America, where they had a little bit of arm's length distance from the entrapments of slavery. But still, they were at constant risk. It didn't stop them. give you a couple examples. Mr. George Bonga, who lived in Duldo, Minnesota, he was a trader, a trapper, and an interpreter. At the signing of the Chippewa Treaty in 1837, so this guy became very important to the economy of that part of the country. James Beckworth, that's Beckworth with a B-E-C-K-W-O-U-R-T-H. Google this guy. You want to talk about a badass-looking individual. You would not have messed with him if you ran into him on the trail. He was a freedman in the early 1800s who became self-employed. He centered his work on being a mountain man, an explorer, a trapper, and a trader. Worked a lot with medicine when it came to trading, by the way. He's credited with the discovery of a pass through the Sierra Nevada, which became one of the primary passes used by traders, trappers, and pioneers. 
And to this day, it is named after him. It's Beckworth Pass, W-O-U-R-T-H. Look it up. Really interesting background there. He established the trading post that he called the Giant Blackwell Fort at Pueblo, Colorado. And he actually became a chief in the Crow tribe. Move on. Move forward a few years into the history of African-American success in entrepreneurship against all odds. Frederick Douglass, a much better known and far more famous, historically speaking, African-American. He was a famous abolitionist, of course. Maybe if you're listening to this in another country and you don't know the name Frederick Douglass, Douglass yet. He also founded a printing business, and he ran it. He ran a newspaper, and he invested in real estate. It wasn't until 2018 that one of the historical societies that has preserved much of his, um, much of his holdings and his family's holdings, um, they found a deed to a property that made it very clear that he had real estate ownership for investment purposes in at least one property, probably more. This was just one surviving one. He was a savvy entrepreneur not just one of the most eloquent speakers and persuasive abolitionists in the history of our country, but an entrepreneur. We often hear intimations about the American way, and the American way being get a safe job, be kind of a cog in the economy, right? Earn the reliable paycheck. There's nothing wrong at all about this. A secure, a secure paycheck to provide for your family, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The historical records kind of contradict this, though. Many of the people who built the foundations of our economy, the foundations of the fabric of our country and our economy, they always have been entrepreneurs, and they have been so through tumultuous times. I don't mix words on this podcast, as you know. I'm not pretending that we're not living through challenging times. Challenging times that include inflation and a pending recession and social challenges and political challenges. But these aren't new. And the resounding answer is entrepreneurship and new and growing small businesses have always dealt with and have always persevered through these kinds of challenges. Many times, through much, much greater challenges than we're facing right now. As it always has and as it always will, it requires resilience, optimism, and, of course, curiosity to learn more and do things in a different way. The ROC, R-O-C, of successful small business ownership. None of these accomplishments happened under idyllic circumstances. We're not dealing with idyllic circumstances right now. But entrepreneurship is the American way. The American way is persisting through challenging times. And as I'm recording on the eve of what is going to be the 246th anniversary of the independence of the United States of America, my research tells me that challenging times can be times when fortunes are made. That, of course, is the Oracle of Omaha. These are the times when fortunes are made, if you're that person that's willing to take some risk when others aren't. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Heartland Franchise Guy. I'm Blake Martin, local small business franchise owner and your Heartland Franchise Guy. And I want to remind you 
don't keep our podcast a secret any different than I want you to keep this interesting history of entrepreneurship a secret. Share it with your friends. Subscribe, share, and comment on all of our platforms. We want your help in growing and teaching others who could learn something from the Heartland Franchise Guide. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you again soon on another episode of the Heartland Franchise Guide. Huda Media Production.